Thank you, Audrey. That was really, really good. Appreciate it very much. And we didn't hear your knees knock. We didn't hear that at all. I just want to mention, too, that there's others in that Sunday school class, and, uh, and others of you could share a testimony or a life story, too. Don't hesitate to let me know if you're willing to do that. That would be great. Um, I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles as we continue this theme of kind of the sower, the seed, and growing in Christ, this whole kind of concept, and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to dive a bit into, into uh, the passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to, uh, to 18, 19, to that area. So, so the question comes, and we've been working through this series in Philippians, and spiritual growth is kind of what we're looking at here this morning, as we've already heard from Audrey and through her testimony. You know, who is responsible for your spiritual growth? Who's responsible for that? I think we need to go back one slide. I just went too far forward. Oh, I'm going the wrong direction. Can I move back? There we are. Okay, there, that's the one I'm looking for. Who is responsible for your spiritual growth? Is it God or is it you? You know, and I think that's a good question to ask. Because as Audrey mentioned, when we look back over our life, we see kind of different phases, different stages in that area of our spiritual growth. And we're working through this book of Philippians and Paul is arrested. He's in chains. He's chained to a Roman guard in Rome 24-7. He's waiting for trial is what it is. When we think back and we go to the start of the church in Philippi, the start of the church involved a time in prison. Paul and Silas, they were beaten, they were arrested, like they were arrested, they were beaten, they were thrown in prison. And we could say almost the first convert to Christianity in that church was a Roman soldier, the Roman jailer. He became a Christ follower. His conversion was sudden, we could say, at least so we read in Acts chapter 16, 29 to 34, where it says, the jailer called for lights. Paul and Silas had been thrown in jail. They were singing praises to God. It was midnight. It was late at night. And there was an earthquake and the doors all open. Okay, 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That simple question. What must I do to be saved? That question is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And the answer is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Spiritual growth 
from accepting Christ as Lord and Savior to taking that step of baptism. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. In, even in the worst situations and the worst places, and I think of Paul and Silas in this case, if we live true to the confession of our faith, people will come to know Jesus. Faith or belief in God is more than philosophy. Saving faith is transformational. It's something that moves from the head to the heart, to the hands, to the feet. The early converts to Christianity in Philippi, from Paul's writings here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, followed the teachings of Paul, and the teachings of Paul were the teachings of Christ. They followed those teachings. Yes, of course, while Paul was present. But more than that, if you look, it says even when he was absent, they continued in that faith following the teachings of Jesus, living those teachings. The following the followings or following the teachings of Jesus means a change in how you live life. It does. Again, we heard that in the testimony. When we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and we start living for Jesus, our life, our life changes. So Paul wants to encourage. He wants to instruct the believers in Philippi. He's in jail. He remembers when he was in jail. There's this bond that comes across, spans years, and in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul says to them, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, this has caused much debate, these words of Paul. Lots of questions. Paul, what are you saying here? These words can be very misleading. It's easy to come to the conclusion that we need to work to earn our salvation. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Remember salvation, faith in Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer, how did he get saved? Not through works. Faith in Jesus Christ. Who is responsible for your spiritual growth? Verse 13. So the next verse, I had it up there in PowerPoint, but this time I've underlined it. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Oh, this can mislead us too. Because all of a sudden we say, well, it's all God's work. What is Paul trying to say? Because right here we see a contradiction, or we could see a contradiction, depending on where we want to go. Well, 
Well, I think a great example or illustration to help us understand is the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. You know, I think that example or illustration could help us to understand. You see, in a rowboat, you are in control. You grab the oars or the paddle. It could be a canoe. You grab the paddle, the oars. You control the speed based on how hard you paddle and you go wherever you want. Oh, but a sailboat. A sailboat is so different. When you're sailing, you're not totally active, nor are you totally passive. Okay? When you're sailing, you have to put up the sail. You have a role to play. You have to set the sail so it catches the wind. The wind drives you forward, and you steer with the rudder. Oh, but you can't steer anywhere. No, 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 you can't do that. You'll find that the wind that's being caught in the sail will disappear. And you'll go all of a sudden nowhere. The wind drives you forward, and you steer with the rudder where the wind, in a way, takes you. You are completely dependent on the wind for movement. There's no room in this to believe that I'm in control. You might think you are, but you're not. And so the same thing for our Christian walk. What is involved in spiritual growth? I would say that there's two components that are involved in spiritual growth. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to the church of Philippi, to us. The first component is that of being. The second, I would say, is that of doing. And I would say that the order is important. It's so important. And sometimes we get the order mixed up. You can't put the horse behind the cart, as they say. It just does not work. First, we need to be present in Christ. How do you become present in Christ? It's not by what we do, but it's through what God has done for us. Grace. That's how we become present in Christ. The Holy Spirit begins the work in our hearts, in our lives. We become present in Christ through faith in the work that Christ has done. Not the work that you have done. His obedience all the way to death on the cross. And that's what Paul is saying earlier in chapter 2. His obedience. Not because he sinned, but because we have sinned. Grace. 
We stay in the presence of Christ when we worship and when we listen. So being in the presence of Christ is so important. And we can stay in the presence of Christ when we worship, when we listen, when we pray, when we pray, when we talk to God, when we have conversation with him, when we commune with him. We stay in the presence of God when we read his word with listening ears. We stay in the presence of Christ when we declare praises to him. I think of Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to be in Christ. We need to remain in Christ. And that's first. But there's a second part. And that is we need to do. And the order is important. I believe that when we are abiding in the presence of Christ, we will be compelled to obey the teachings of Jesus. I think that will just be the natural outcome. If you're abiding in Christ, you're going to change. It's God's holiness and his love for humanity that will drive us, we could say, to do. Okay? And it's not to do for our sake. We already are saved. Okay? We're already saved. We can just sit back. But we can't. Because of God's holiness. Because of God's love. We just can't. And so what we'll do is we'll follow Jesus. We'll live the life of Jesus. We'll do. 1 Peter 4.11 If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. When I'm abiding in Christ, his presence in, is in me. And it makes it possible to will and to act. And I will fulfill his good purposes. I can't please God in my own power. That's not going to work. No, I can't. I can't do what God has called me to do in my own power. I can't do that. I will find myself falling short. I'll fail. And then what do I do? God is calling us first into relationship with him. And then God is calling us in that relationship. What he's doing is he's calling us first into that relationship with him. First into unity with him. That's what that is. That relationship with him is being in unity with him. Thinking his thoughts. Being like Jesus. And then, 
we'll find that there should be unity within the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is in unity with God. You're thinking, ah, oh, he's making this up. How can that be? We don't see unity in the church today, do we? Oh, hold it a second. This is exactly what Jesus prayed for. In John chapter 17, a prayer of Jesus is recorded for us. This prayer, many believe, took place between the upper room and his arrest in the garden. Somewhere in between that, this prayer took place. And in this prayer, listen to the words. This is what Jesus is praying for. He says in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, My prayer is not for them alone. Meaning the disciples, because he was praying earlier for them. This is a long prayer. I'm just jumping in the middle here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I. We believe because we've heard the message through the word of God. And what does it say? Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. There it is. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the first call is to be, and that's to be in unity with Christ. And then we move from there to the body of Christ. So that phrase, that phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling is, con is connected really to the next words that we find in verse 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in the warped and crooked generation. The words that are here tell us that we're not to complain and argue with other believers, stirring up disunity, causing issues of disunity, the breaking of fellowship of Christ, causing the church to be in turmoil. Not over theological issues. There are times we have to take a stand in the area of theological issues, but over personal issues. You see, the church is not about you. The church is the body of Christ. It is to be Jesus in the world. In a world that is warped and crooked. Those are the words of Paul. And you and I, if we believe in Jesus, we are the church. How can we be a testimony to the world if we're bickering with each other? Jesus said it is our love for one another that will show the world. And Jesus tells us to love one another, but that love does not justify sin. Okay, remember again that first relationship being with Christ. The love drives us in coming alongside the believer that has fallen, 
and help them in their journey through repentance and restoration. The love that we're supposed to have is there to drive us, to drive the church to come alongside the unbeliever so that they will see Christ. It tells us we're to stand firm in a warped and crooked generation. And that requires unity amongst us as believers. Paul used the words warped and crooked to define the time he was living in, that that moment in time. Well, I would say today is the same. I I don't, you know, I when I was working on this, I thought, wow, things have not changed, have they? We, the world around us, thinks that they have evolved. But I would say no. Today it's the same. I think we, we can describe our world, our culture, a warped and crooked generation. There are many issues in our world that are opposed to the truth of Jesus. And I could spend a long time going through those issues. I think you can do that on your own. But as an example, in case nothing comes to your mind, okay? In case nothing's there, and I don't think that's the case. But in case there is, let me just throw one out there, okay? We need to stand firm on the truth that life at any stage is of value. Okay? We've already, I'll say, lost the battle in the area of the abortion side. Of life. Here in Canada, I mean, it can happen anytime. Like, it's sad. We've lost that already. We've justified it, this, that, whatever. There's another battle that we're losing and have almost lost on the other side. Our government's view on assisted death, referred to as MAID, medical assistance in dying. Should we be concerned? Yes, we need to be concerned. There is, there is one issue. There's so many. Are we willing to... We don't have to get out there and fight or whatever. What we need to do is just be in unity and truthful. We believe that a human being from conception all the way to natural death is of immense value, of eternal value. And Christ died for every human being. Don't get me wrong, not everyone will be in heaven. Believe and you will be saved. But we were sinners too before we believed. Christ died for us. We are not to work out our salvation in the context of earning our salvation, but we're to re express the reality of our situation. 
the reality of our salvation. We work outwardly, we could say, because God is at work inwardly in us. So when somebody says something about assisted suicide, we say, I do not believe in that. I believe that human beings are of value, whether they're handicapped, whatever in that process. God created them. I don't understand why, but God created each one of us. And yes, all the difficulties we have in life, whether later on in life, the dementia, Alzheimer's, and on and on the list goes, God knew all of that. And I believe somehow it'll all make sense. And you might say, boy, you got a simple belief. But we live righteously because we can. Because we have Christ in us. We live righteously. The fear and the trembling is connected to the seriousness of the salvation. And sometimes we don't take salvation that serious. Because I almost think, and I'm speaking to myself, I almost think that if I took it serious, I would be weeping over those that are lost. Because of their eternity in hell, I would be weeping. Do I cry for those that do not know Jesus? Am I propelled forward by God's love? Well, and I think maybe this is strange, but I would say, you know, there's another possibility here. And this might be a metaphor also for when we are followers of Jesus in a warped and crooked generation we probably will fear and tremble even though we ought not to for Christ is in us but I think of us living in Canada and how we you know I mean it's good right but that's not the way it is around the world People believe in Jesus and they literally die. Oh, if death was the end, that would be great. But many times there's a long period of suffering before death. I think we don't understand this because God has blessed us so much here. So when we live in unity, we're living out the truth of the gospel. And then it says, and just like Jesus' prayer in John 17 in the verses I read, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, when we are living a Jesus life, then we'll shine among them like stars in the sky as we hold firmly to the word of life. We need to hold firmly to the word of life. The word of life are the words of Jesus. John 8, 31, 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
We need to stand firm on the teachings of the Bible. They're the recorded words of Jesus. They are the words of God. So to stand firm on the teachings of Jesus, what does that mean? Let me leave us here this morning. It means to know him. It means abiding, to know him, to abide. To stand firm on the teachings of Jesus means to know his word. Through his word, you come to know him better. To stand firm on the teachings of Jesus means we need to pray. Commune with God. Talk to him. Listen as he talks to you. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit. We need to yield our will. I got that backwards. We need to yield our will to the Holy Spirit. It's a repeat, the next one, but it's there. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit our life actions. So I love that. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So think of the sailboat. And the wind is the Holy Spirit. And as you catch the Holy Spirit, you'll be moved forward. Think of Westgate, and and an an analogy that we use is Westgate is, is a lighthouse on the west side of the city of Saskatoon. But you are Westgate, okay? So you are Westgate. Father, may we have your heart. May we be followers of Jesus. May we be disciples of Jesus, fully devoted followers, Lord. We give you thanks and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.